BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Diving on in today. I know. We, We recorded our episode backwards where we did the interview first and we're both just really like you're blowing out. it you're blowing our magic no uh, yeah we are mellowed i know we're like i know sometimes it, it, in the world of recording things you do things last first and then vice versa it's not just in podcasts it's also in movies it's also you yeah. know nothing no. sequential man what i'm trying to say is i've already talked to you for an hour yeah so it's like where do we yeah. even Where's look, our jumping off point for look, top of man, show? And I finished True Detective. It, that spiral time is a flat linear line, man. Like, don't mean nothing. Well, with that being said, uh, welcome to Side Work Podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Van Poplin. I'm your other host, Andrea Wallace. And yeah, uh, you know, I know this isn't a true detective breakdown show, but I kind of wish there had been one more episode between the, you know, the the second to the last one and the last one. Just yep. saying. Only because I really wanted more. I just that- wanted more of it. I wanted more. I wanted more uh, Danvers and Navarro, you know, mm-hmm. my new mm-hmm. favorite buddy cop duo. Oh, my God. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm troubled, ladies. I We're, know. Are, I'm the who. What, are you the Danvers? Or am I the Navarro of the two? Ooh, Ooh, good question, right? I mean, it could go flipsies, right? Flipsies, backsies, fourthies. I mean, I feel like we've all got a little Danvers and a little Navarro in us at all times. Now, I don't know. Hmm. I feel like because like I'm the baby of the Zodiac and I'm the Aries that I'm a little Hmm. bit more of a Navarro, but that's just me. For Um, sure. I yeah, you're also a professional boxer like the actresses in real life. That I I've been crushing it MMA style. Uh, It's very (laughs) true. Uh, I'm gonna get my cheeks pierced. I've decided. Uh, (laughs) I do love that look on people though. I know it's just like forced dimples. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, But. God, I, I went back. I know. And again, this isn't a true detective breakdown oh God, show. Stop. But I went back and watched the first season again. And I was just like, well, this one's really good, too. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, <laughs> we have so much to cover on the show. Let's we just jump are in a ahead. restaurant but podcast in case anyone look, got hey, confused. We'd all be talking about this rolling silverware anyway. Assume true. that's what it's about. But let's just do it. Let's just jump into some headlines, shall we? Oh, um, oh God. This one's amazing. <laughs> you know that I would go to this before I would go to that restaurant. Oh, go my on. God. West Virginia residents to honor defunct Hooters location with chicken and candlelight vigil. This is from thechive.com. I've seen it across many, many uh, publications, but this is just the this is the article that I latched onto. Mm-hmm. Um, so Charleston, West Virginia, residents plan to say goodbye to a community staple, the abandoned Hooters location in Kanawha City that will be demolished on February 26th. So it probably it's already happened. It's been a couple days since it happened, basically, when this is dropping. Um, but yeah, people are just really bummed out and planned. You know, the heartbreak of this town, as they're saying, is going to be immeasurable. Hmm. Hooters lives on in the annals, annals of American culture and the loss of a location deserves a proper send-off. 
off. And so that's what they're doing. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I like how they quoted the two event organizers, just some dudes named Leonard and Drew. Uh, they have an event page they've created. And to quote them, they say, the town will gather in remembrance of the amazing power that was brought to us all by Hooters with a candlelight vigil. I wonder what else this town has going for it. Probably not a lot. They are going to celebrate and provide a limited amount of chicken wings mm -hmm. and making their homemade traditional Hooters sauce because mm -hmm. they, they got that recipe down pat and mm -hmm. the goat, the, the greatest sandwich of all time, um, the strip cheese, which mm -hmm. I'm guessing is a grilled cheese, but scantily clad, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, you know, basically the Hooters just didn't make it through COVID. Yeah. And it happens, you know. So, but, you know, hopefully the memories will live on. And obviously they're doing their best to provide some sort of honor or wake, if you will, for said Hooters. Well, this is crazy, though, that they're saying it February 20th, 2024. They just have. Nope. Never mind. I read it wrong. Okay, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be demolished on Monday. Yep, and mm -hmm. this episode will be dropping. Okay, mm -hmm. it's too late. It's gone. Pour She's one gone. out. Pour one out. There's no saving it. By the time this reaches you, it's too late, guys. If you Long try gone. to induce some sort of mission to rescue this Hooters, too late. Too late. Oops. I specifically can attest to this next headline that you oh, found. Oh, this from Thrill is so good. So basically, why does uh, flying make people crave ginger ale is I the headline of flew, this Thrillist article. Cross country just a few days ago. And guess who had a little gingy? I had you. a little gingy ale. I did. They're just, you know, they're like, well, since you're offering and I'm not buying, I'll have a ginger ale, you know? Yeah. yeah. So this article is basically like, why do so many people crave ginger ale when they're in the sky, when they're flying? You know, it's it's basically like statistically the most drink beverage or like the most people drink ginger ale in their life when they are flying. Um, you know, a, a lot of it, obviously, ginger helps with the belly. Right. Mm -hmm. Scientifically speaking, um, that a 1500 milligram gross of milligram dose of ginger can provide nausea relief and can have anti-inflammatory effects, something that could appeal to nervous flyers. OK, but unfortunately, most modern ginger ales and definitely all commercial ginger ales like Seagram's and Canada Dry and Schweppes don't contain anywhere near enough real ginger to actually make it medicinal. Or no. have health benefits. I, and Canada can Try has been sued. Yeah. Sued multiple times for the lack of ginger in its can. <laughs> but this article is so great because then it goes into it. This is like a mini episode. This whole article. Like I we know. We could have done a whole a whole little episode on this. So ginger ale was invented in Ireland in the 1850s. And although the tradition of ordering it uh, on planes seems to be uniquely American, a ginger ale historian from Detroit said that because soda initially rose to popularity thanks to its mix being used as a mixer mm -hmm. to cover the taste of horrible alcohol that was made during Prohibition, people turned ginger ale not just because they needed something to temper their bathtub bathtub swell, but because they way they liked the way that the drinks bubbles and taste harkened back to a boozier years gone by. So this was kind of like. Here's your champagne. Here's your bathtub gin. Here's ginger ginger ale. This kind of tastes like a bubbly champagne now, I think is what they were saying. Right. And I, I do love that the article also shouts out Detroit cult favorite Verner's, which I had when yeah. I was back home. It's so good. If you've never had it, it's the it's the ginger ale to rule all ginger ales. It's so delicious. Over um, 150 years old. I know it's got a lot of history. We're going to be, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I, I do think there is something to grabbing a, because like maybe also too, you're like, I want a little bubble. I want something a little sweet, but I don't want to caffeinate myself with mm -hmm. Coke or Diet Coke because totally. I might want to snooze on this flight. Yeah, I do sometimes. Brian tends to go more toward the ginger ale. I've been doing, I will get a Coke sometimes on a plane because it's kind of one of the only times I even allow myself to have like sweet yeah. soda anyway. Um, but yeah, I, it is the comforting. It is like what your mommy would serve you, right? When you were sick and your tum tum hurt when you were a kid, you would get ginger ale, right? Soda crackers and ginger ale if mm -hmm. you had the barfy barfs. Yep. 
Yeah. So they're saying they're saying this woman uh, uh, is saying that, you know, they suggest that rather than simply it's a liquid security blanket, essentially, is that, what they're calling it. <laughs> and you want that when you're flying, because we all want our mommy and uh, flying and sitting next to a stranger. We look for any comforts we can find in the sky. Absolutely. And not, you know, this article doesn't like totally lean into it, but I could not be more thrilled that like the actual OG ginger beer has been, uh, you know, back as far as popularity goes to make like, you know, one of your favorite cocktails, which is a, a mule, which is or a burrow, ma- a burrow, which is essentially just a Moscow mule with tequila yep. um, and also mine. So keep the ginger beer flowing, I say, is delicious. And I'll, we're never going to stop, Brooke, you and me. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Andrea's <laughs> never going to stop. Ah, uh, all right. Well, no server submitted stories this week, guys, but they are sort of trickling in. So, you know, again, any inspiration you might have, send us any embarrassing stories, chestnuts you've been sitting on, send them over to sideworkpod at gmail.com. But other than that, without further ado, let's get into the meat of the podcast. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Topic, we're just gonna we're just gonna dive right in. There was an um article in Eater recently, and a, you know, a lot of our uh episodes that kind of start off as headlines, Brooke, you couldn't agree with this, like fully turn into like whole episodes of the show, right. just because there's they- so much to talk about. Um, and this Eater article dropped recently, um, talking about catering, um, kind and dinner parties kind of being the new the new hip thing um private people, dining if you will private dining if you will but like a newer version of it like a fancier version of it kind of like a you know you can have like a James Beard award winning chef come to your home and instead of like you know going to a busy restaurant and paying you know $200 a person you can go to a private home and pay $200 a person and this being kind of a new norm, right? And especially it being a way for um, chefs to kind of make ends meet because running a brick and mortar just isn't cutting the mustard anymore, apparently. You know, it's a new way for chefs to put their names out there and make a lot more money. Um, And we happen to have a buddy, um, a friend of the show, who has been on before in, like, when we did front of house versus back of house. Very fun. he um, is not only a private chef who creates his own farm to table seasonal dinners inspired by his home state of Georgia. He's also a potter, which is pretty kick ass because not only is he designing beautiful menus, he's also designing the vessels in which they are served upon, which is like really kind of amazing. So um, let's please welcome Zach Malloy to Sidework Podcast. Hi, Hi, Zach. He's back. He's back. Dirt nice to church. see everyone We're going again. to Dirt Church today. So mm-hmm. nice to see you. Yes, Dirt Church Ceramics. Now, is that also just the name of the catering company? Is all? It's just a dirt church under one? It's just kind of, yeah. And I don't even know if I would call it catering company, you know, as much as it's, uh, it's like this, it's like a synthesis of, of everything, right? Where, you know, after the pandemic, trying to figure out what the new normal was going to look like and. You know, for me, um, you know, I was in restaurants for 25 years and then in seeing, you know, the the industry really take a gut punch and trying to take a step back and figure out a kind of a better way to do this. This is where I've ended up just Mm -hmm. it's like grabbing the ceramics and grabbing the cooking. And then, you know, I, I have a lot of experience in front of the house, too. So kind of adding all of those elements in together to create a kind of a, a, a complete circle is the idea. I love it. And you know, you, you have listened to the podcast, you know, the drill. So let's, let's start back in in the beginning, shall we? Yeah. Like, you know, over 20 years of experience, how did you get started in the industry? Well, I actually started in front of the house. Um, when I was in college, you know, I needed, uh, 
some spending money and I didn't really have any restaurant experience. And I said, well, how, what, how do I make the most amount of money for the least amount of work, not knowing anything about anything. So I said, okay, well, I'll see if I can be a bus boy at the mm-hmm. fanciest restaurant in town. Um, and this was in Birmingham's and I ended up working for uh, a chef named Frank Stitt uh, at his restaurant called Bottega. And it was the nicest restaurant that would, that would have me. And on my very first day, they handed me the wine list and they handed me the menu and they said, all right, well, you need to learn this. And I and you're like, said, but I'm just, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> and their whole philosophy was, is if you got an apron on, you better ask a question, right? Because the guest isn't going to try and figure out like who is who. They're just going to grab somebody with an apron and ask a question. And so then, you know, in diving in to that, I was just like, I was just absorbed by by all of it, you know, to see that not only, I mean, obviously the food needs to be good and the food has to be seasonal and blah, blah, blah. But like to see that how much of who we are as humans is communicated through what we eat and to see the history and to see how food has traveled around. Like I really got sucked in. So I worked every possible position at that restaurant that I could at front of the house. And then I said, okay, well, what's next? And then went to culinary school and and did restaurants after that right so after culinary school uh i moved to central america for about six years or so and did that was like culinary school it was like grad school a little bit right and got to learn where uh where in central america i was mostly in in costa rica kind of in the the pacific northwest of costa rica Uh, i'm I'm going there in a week and a half we'll have to talk about it yeah i have a long list of places where i need you to go i need to like vicariously eat i'll just Uh, i'll send you food porn when i'm okay (laughs) yeah um and so um you know i can't i moved back here in in 2009 you know kind of after the economy here took a dive i mean that has ripple effects everywhere and the tourism where we were kind of dried up and i had to scramble a little bit and move back here and took a job as a line cook but since I haven't taken that kind of like straight trajectory, like I started as a dishwasher and then I was the salad guy and then I was the hot app guy, I really have had to kind of figure out how to jumpstart stuff a little bit. Cause when I moved back here and there, you know, had to take a job for $10 an hour. Yeah. I had well, to figure crazy. that out it's, fast. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy to be like, I just put myself through school and all this education to come and get a big pay cut you know well yeah I mean and that's like for me that's a whole uh, like I could do a sermon on that just alone on how culinary school is scam but but that's a whole other thing (laughs) I mean I just I do love like the humble beginnings right of Mm -hmm. your story yeah yeah thrust into a situation where everybody is learning all the time and everybody is a team you know sure and then how, but then, but you know, the hard part too, is that like, I think that success in this game is how do you set yourself apart? Right. Um, and so I was just, I was absolutely dying having to work as a line cook and eventually a sous chef at these other restaurants. I mean, it was like the, it was like the office space of restaurants, you know, <laughs> where it was like, everything had to be, you know, approved in triplicate through three different um you know lines of management and you know just to put a new button on the computer to make a new special to use up the extra black beans or something it was just like it was it was a nightmare and so i said i'm gonna go nuts if i have to do this and i saw an ad in the newspaper for this old like it was an old civil war era factory and they were like renting out spaces to artists. Like it was as artist community as you can imagine. And so I said, well, what if I just make a dining room in one of those art studios and just started that way um, serving, you know, I had, I went and bought like uh, an old display table from Abercrombie and Fitch type, one of these like, you know, uh retail fixture surplus type places and got this like old display table and cut the legs off and i had like a 200 square foot studio in the basement of this factory you know about 200 feet from a really active train line and that's where we started serving dinners right 10 people once a week um and it was all word of mouth and then it was 
you know, uh, it, it started to, to pick up speed and it was, you know, then it was twice a week and then it was three times a week. Then I had to get a bigger table and then I had to get a bigger space. And it got up to the point where, you know, I actually moved into the factory warehouse space and was feeding up to like a hundred people a week out of my wow. apartment. And then mm. that's, that's how we actually funded uh, a restaurant. So I actually mm -hmm. had a traditional restaurant for five years. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, saw, I saw you, uh, you know, kind of fondly recalling the blood, sweat and tears of the, it all. The good old days. Yeah. And what year, um, what year, what year was it that you decided to go for it and rent the warehouse space? The warehouse space was 2011. That was when I did the very first kind of like supper club, right? Wow. We called it push, push start was what we called it. Kind of the idea of starting something from nothing a little bit. I mean, it was rough. We had one electrical socket that we oh, ran. An it was, you're, it's so punk rock. You're basically, you were squatters essentially, right? Like it was like, <laughs> we just decided to make our entire life a quick fire challenge, basically. Mm -hmm. it was just, um, um, and it was... I mean, it was amazing. I got to do a lot of really amazing stuff. And in doing that, I mean, it's hard and it's really scary because I think that there's a lot of security for us to kind of have the umbrella corporation mm -hmm. to work under somebody yeah. because, you know, at the very least you're going to have, you know, you know that you got that paycheck and you know that you have your routine and all the systems are set up and you're ready to go. Um and I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I mean, I knew how to cook and I just wanted to serve food in a place. And I never had an official title higher than sous chef before. I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, after I closed the restaurant just before the pandemic and mm. trying to, you know, figure out what was, you know, what was next. And, uh, and then the pandemic hit and I, and I didn't actually have a job at that time. So I was like left doing pottery, like selling pottery out of my garage basically. And doing, you know, like I would go in masked up and cook private dinners for people in their homes. And I started doing it off of my ceramics um, you know, and carrying everything in. And so my whole thing at that point was doing like a five course meal, a restaurant meal with mm -hmm. Russian service and everything, right? Like a full clear each time, new, new silver, new glassware, everything for the pairings, um, and doing it all on my ceramics. So I would show up, unpack everything. Oh my God. The weight of everything you have yeah. to carry. Yeah. That's a lot, especially when you're making pottery yeah it's they don't uh yeah they don't have they don't have pottery lights so no. um <laughs> i mean i and i was doing that a, a lot a lot a lot and then kind of i mean it, admittedly this is coming from a place of privilege right where there's where to be able to not just think about what I'm doing, but actually why I'm doing something mm. and, you know, really analyzing that as I'm feeding these folks. And I mean, it's amazing to go into people's homes and cook for them, but it's still a little of this kind of like, you're the help in a way, right. you know, right? right. Like, and you do it, live in the South, right? Where mm -hmm. like there's society is still, you know, amongst you, right? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. you still get a little of the, this This is the worst, right? Like I'm done with this, like not, no. uh, a little, right? And I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe that's pride getting in the way a little bit, but I felt like there was a little bit more um, that I at least wanted to have some sort of like cohesive message at least that I could tell myself, if not communicate to everybody else that I was that I was cooking for. And, you know, I was really seeing I was starting to outgrow my garage as like a ceramic studio. And I thought, OK, well, why don't I just mush them up mm -hmm. and do them together? And so what I started doing was, you know, I rented a warehouse space and I, you know, kind of gutted the uh, like the call center side you know, where they would have all the like offices and like yeah. day old coffee sitting around. Um, and I turned that into kind of like a little weirdo dining room and I'm, you know, have just a little pop-up space. And I mean, the, the break room of this warehouse, you know, that I just set up like a, an induction burner and a table 
And so, you know, on the other side, the warehouse side is where I'm doing all the ceramics production. So I'm writing a seasonal menu. And at the same time, I'm writing the menu and picturing how it's going to be presented. And then I go, well, what would be a cool vessel for this? And then make the dishes for. Wow. The, so it's like a ceramics pairing, right? Which is so stupid, but um, fun. But how, how long from like, you know, inception to execution to, to service? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, how many dinners at this point? Are you doing seasonal? Or are you doing multiple? I do like, one a week. Okay. I do a dinner. I do a dinner a week. I do a menu for, a, you know, kind of like the calendar season. So basically like, so we're about, this is the last weekend coming up that we'll be doing the kind of winter menu with the winter dishes. Got it. And then first week of March will be all new menu. And all new New wear. ceramics. Wow. So you're doing seasonal. You're doing seasonal inspiration mm-hmm. all around. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, the, so, and it all kind of like, it all kind of ties back together. So for example, I'll incorporate ingredients in the actual production of the ceramics, right? Like if, uh, like, you know, I had a, I have a peach tree in my front yard because of course it's Georgia, right? And so uh, peach pits pressed into the plate served you know, that's serving a peach dessert, right? This kind of this, the idea that it's all, you know, that it all comes from the same place, wow. which is kind of where the whole dirt church name came from a little bit, right? Because yes. sure, on the surface level, what we're doing is serving food. But I mean, it's really, it can get really, really, it can get as deep as you want it to get, right? It yeah, can we're get all as made spiritual. of the same shit, yeah. We're all made of the same stuff. But, right? And then it's your all website, tied together, right? Yeah. Exactly. Your, your website is beautiful for anyone who it's wants to visit. Uh, it's all beautiful. I'm floored. Like, now you're going to make me cry. Aw, dirtshirtservices.com. I'm, I'm like com. already almost crying. <laughs> I, I just, yeah. <laughs> but then I, honestly, and this is something that's kind of come to me in the past two or three weeks, really, in kind of like, um you know, continuing this like self-analysis and kind of paying attention to my my place in this whole machine that is life and noticing um, that we don't talk to strangers anymore. Like I keep thinking about like, what is it that feels so s- unique about this experience? Because, you know, I'll serve a dinner for 16 people and I have a limit. You can't make a reservation, a large reservation. There's nothing larger than four people because that swings the way the conversation at the table mm-hmm. works. Yeah. And I yeah. kept thinking about like, well, what is it? You know, why is this so unique and why, you know, are people into this? And the it, it hit me that we don't talk to strangers anymore, period, unless we're handing them money or they're handing like it's every every interaction that we have with people is transactional now. I, there is no interaction that is not based on getting something. The fact that you haven't seen our outline for this I know, episode in your interview, like, well, Zach, you are hitting every single point that I wrote down. There is an Atlantic article that recently dropped that I actually uh, put on here about Americans being at an all time low when socializing is involved. Um, You know, and so from 2003 to 2022, American men reduced their average hours of face to face socializing by 30 percent for unmarried Americans. The decline was even bigger, more than 35 percent for teenagers. It was more than 45 percent. Boys and girls 15 to 19 reduced their weekly social hangouts by more than three hours. I mean, and this isn't, you know, and obviously post pandemic, there's a lot more solitude, anxiety, dissatisfaction. You know, nobody wants to be out in public. Mm-hmm. And I put this specifically because I do think things like private dinners and knowing you're going to be in more of a safe space, a safe environment, a curated small environment. I think this could be like a new cafe culture. And I really mm-hmm. think that's what you're striving for by what you said. And like mm. invoking conversation, invoking community and for people to come together and break bread, you know, if we want to put it that simply to share ideas and learn things about each other. Right. And so my, my, you know, cause I, I have to, you know, address the table. I mean, and you know how it goes. It's like being the lead server, right? I'm effectively right. the lead server, but also the chef and also like chief dishwasher and head server's assistant. So, but I always have to kind of like address everybody and they're, I mean, first of all, that's my biggest fear ever is, is public speaking, right? <laughs> and interrupting people to speak is like 
yeah, even just talking about it, like my all, my jaw starts locking up. But I realized that I have created a situation that is incredibly awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> and it is awkward and uncomfortable for me also. And in it, I am trying to actually not change that. I want it to be awkward because throughout the course of the evening, you get you know, 16 people who arrived, mostly strangers. And by the end of it, interrupting the entire table to address them is harder, but in a different way, right? It's hard because they won't shut up because they've been talking right. now for five or six courses worth of right. food. And they're, and, you know, I saw like, th this was forever ago, this project that they were doing in, I think it was during, you know, when we were at war in Afghanistan, and they were having people get together, you know, people from the US and people from Afghanistan to sit and talk about how their mother used to make rice for them, right? Or tea, right? That we all can, we all have these connecting points. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at the end of the evening, I kind of address everybody and I, I there's a little bit of this like confession, right? Where it's like, I kind of tricked y'all into coming here because, you know, on the face, it's about the ceramics and the food. And, but really what it is, is about just trying to get us to all connect and, and just talk period about anything, right? Because what, what we really need is that we need to be able to identify with these people as humans um, and not numbers. And so that's, and that to be able to, to, to find that kind of empathy and connection with people that you normally wouldn't have is kind of like, crucial, right? Yeah. And then they can all like, you know, leave full happy and mm -hmm. then like go have a big sex party. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to say, or pay it forward, but yeah, or I've they can some all go wild, I've seen stuff like that happen, though. That's the thing that's crazy, right? Is that I've seen, you know, you people usually come in pairs, yeah. right? They usually, it's rare that you have a sing, an odd number group. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this pair right here is sitting at the table and they're talking to this pair right here. And I've seen like one week or two weeks later, like the guy from this pair came with the girl from this pair and now they are a new pair. And then I see them continue forward i've seen people break up i've seen exes show up at the same dinner and have to sit next to each other i mean i've seen every different dynamic that you can imagine uh at the table um you know people i've had people get married at the table before uh it, it's and i think that's just something that we there's a very small group of people who are benefiting greatly from all of us thinking that we don't have anything in common. And I, right. God damn it, am against it. Every bit of that, mm -hmm. like, um, and that we are so, so used to having, you know, everything right in, right in the palm of our hand here that we don't, I mean, who do you reach out to when the phone right. goes down? Right. Yes. And we don't, uh, we don't know how to get in touch with anyone and we have no kind of network outside of this social, social, um, media. And, and I think that it's really tied us down more than, you know, it's been sold to us. It's this thing that we're going to connect and totally. it's not working that way. Yeah. With every yin, there is a yang, right? It's like, while like dirt church does, I'm sure get promoted via social media, it's still, you know, which is good and uplifting in many ways. It's still a hindrance on so many other levels. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, that, that yeah, I feel like you would cancel that out to like, you know, give back all the harm that's been done, you know, into the world. But like, I, I've been saying, I don't know, since like November, like an asshole, I've been like, we just got to bring the dinner party back. I think it's time. Like, it's just been something on my mind. I feel like I, I mean, and it's also like, it is not, it's not, I will bring up the fact that it's fucking expensive to go out to eat anymore. You know what I mean? And to like, and whether that's to bring someone like you in, or we, or we all plan a dinner to go to like, to see you. I think that shared experiences like that are going to be not only easier on our minds, but like, if we're talking about our pocketbook at this time, it's like, wouldn't you rather have a, a better, you know, experience yeah. where you're, yeah. You gotta I'm just count. saying there's something about, and Andrea knows this pretty much since COVID hit, 
There is very little about restaurants that impress me or blow me away that make right. me feel like the money I just threw down. Nobody's the- having fun well, anymore. No. And so to me, no. like sitting down with a group of friends for a private dinner sounds like the exact Heaven. bomb, the bomb our soul needs. Because, yeah, at this point, I don't want to part with my money if, you know, if it's going to be a rude wait staff, an underwhelming meal. But it's like, but we're in L.A. and it's like, we don't know what else to do. Let's let's keep going to Hippo for dinner. And I'm like, I don't want to go. I, I named this one place, you know, but it, it's just like, but we have to spend money. It's L.A. We're a certain age. Isn't this what people do? And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I literally yeah. want to have appetizers at your home with you. Well, okay? yeah, think about how it's like food in a lot of ways, like restaurants, have bec- like people going out to eat and kind of restaurant culture. It's almost like they're collecting like merit badges, right? Mm-hmm. Like, look, this is where I ate at this fancy restaurant. And over oh, here yeah. I ate at this fancy restaurant. And this one I I'm ate at guilty. and it was fancy and it sucked, you know? Um, it's easy to do. And I think, but you're not really actually enjoying it like everything has become like an 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 analysis um and i think that's because of things like yelp you know where it's like right where we've been told that our opinions are the most important opinions ever and therefore we can just stand on that platform and holler down at people and i mean i've kind of eliminated that a little bit in through these supper clubs i mean people will still go and create yelp scenarios but the average like you know the average yelper is not gonna go any dinner where they don't get to order food and they're sitting in a 200 year old basement or whatever right like right the adventure side of it and this even more importantly it's like the surrender is something that that (laughs) we also very rarely have to do we very rarely have to say you know what I trust you, take care of me and have that actually live up to that expectation. That just never happens. And that is the one thing that I am doing right there. You do not get a menu. I don't, I mean, I do honor dietary needs, but I don't let anybody know what they're having. Like you just have to show up, show up. And just know that I'm going to take care of you. I'm just going to say, omakase in a Southern accent. Omakase? I mean, like, I didn't even, I didn't even change the signage on the warehouse. Like the warehouse is like, it says beauty wholesale, like beauty supply wholesale. And it's like, says like lashes, wigs, hair extension type thing underneath. So at 6.30 on a Saturday night, there'll be 16 people standing in the parking lot and all the Uber drivers are dropping people off going, <laughs> like, what? Are you, are you sure? Are you how sure does, that this is? How does your staffing work? Like, do you it's have... Just, I mean, it's me and my my partner, you know, my girlfriend. And I have, an, I have a friend who works um, as a food scientist and he really wants to play restaurant but who wants to actually work in a restaurant so he helps me in the kitchen you know but it's just the three the three of us it'll be two or three of us sometimes it's just me up front so I'll do all of the service and Joey and I will then tag team all of the food plating in the back and then that's it Mm -hmm. so everything gets packed in and everything is still getting packed back out again because I don't have a like dishwasher kitchen scenario or and do you BYOB or do you have like a wine pairing involved I do all of it I do okay. all of it. So everybody shows up and I produce like they do snacks and cocktails mm-hmm. and I do like a seasonal cocktail. Um, and then they sit down and they do five, five courses and those are all wine paired. And I do all the wine pairing and wine service and everything. Um, and then at the very end, they do handmade candy and kind of like cordial digestive type thing. But we make all of that too. And it all kind of ties back together, right? Like what they have at the end is usually almost like a version of what they had at the beginning and wow. it like mirrors each other. And when are you kicking people out by like 10? I don't actually, I mean, we don't really, yeah, like people probably want to stay, out. right? People want to yeah. hang, I would imagine. And they do for a little while, but you know, it kind of gets to a point where everybody's like, we're sitting like, because I have created a space that feels like it's my living room. People kind of automatically get the Midwestern like, well, 
and and I guess it's time for us to go. And then they just kind of get up and go. And at the very end, everybody gets a piece. Like I make mugs for it. That's why we're calling it Mug of the Month Club. Nice. Everybody gets a mug. Um, and so um, Lauren, my girlfriend, bought me the most amazing uh, potter's rack. Like from uh, it's from the old uh, Wedgwood facility in London. They've been producing ceramics since the 1600s. Wow. And we put everyone's mug up there. And so at the end of the evening, they get to go into the studio. They get to pick their own mug, um, you know, to, to take with them as this kind of like, you know, connecting point. And then people effectively are kind of like trying to have a whole set, right? Like they want to come every right, season right, so that they right. can have this month's mug because all of the mugs change with the the season to the glaze or whatever. That's, That's fantastic. Cool. Why I'm not drinking out of your mug right now is beyond me. I just grabbed a <laughs> shitty old San Francisco. That's even better it. though. That's like the, <laughs> like, uh, so I married an ax murderer. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it is actually. I know. Oh, and and San it's from San Francisco. That's for the large. <laughs> That's hilarious. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, <laughs> can I ask what I think maybe we're all kind of curious how does this in terms of margins when you talk about you know working in a restaurant versus you know do are you able to make a living doing this all together is this what you consider now to be main income no well I think that what this is is kind of a project to get me to main mm -hmm. income if that makes sense sure I mean yeah. I'm having to survive on this yeah yeah yeah. Uh, I mean, this sounds like round two of what you did before, but now it's just like right. a different way of doing it. You know, it, it is. It's just a slightly bit more involved. And what I've realized is that all of this has been kind of get uh, it's been a little bit like, you know, market testing a little bit mm -hmm. because the ultimate goal is to get this thing and stick it in a farmhouse where I can have ceramics on property. I can have mm -hmm. garden on property. You can come, you know, it would be just a just far enough outside town mm -hmm. for it to be worth a special trip, right? Yeah, yeah. Because sure. we're speaking in Michelin language. And that you would actually have the same experience that you're having now, but then you would stay the night. So cool. that it would be almost like you dinner party, us... slumber party type thing, right? Where I you mean... can just, and then you can have like a biscuit in the morning when I kick you out. Uh, um, there's so... a place that I went to in um, Niagara on the lake that's like giving me visions of like, you know, they and in the summer they have a whole outdoor setup. There's a there's a yes. you know, you can cook out in a fire. There was an oyster bar that sets up in the backyard in the summer and then inside. Yeah. I mean, this is I, I can picture what you want to do. Yeah, totally. You know, it, it's kind of like uh, I, I, the idea is kind of like the old monastery, you know, the monasteries in Europe. Well, I guess they have them in Asia, too, where you can actually go visit the monastery. A lot of them will let you stay. A lot of them will let you eat, you know, and that you can actually interact with with the monks that stay there. And for me, like I kind of joke that I want to do a hillbilly monastery, it's right, crazy. where like, <laughs> you know, where I mean, it's problematic to be sure uh, where I'm from, but like the idea of Southern hospitality is something that I always got raised with. And so, you know, I'm always wanting to try and figure out ways to to really make people feel comfortable. And I feel like not even just for me, but that when you are at your most comfortable, that's when you can have the most meaningful connections with other people. Am I making a lot of money? No, God, no, I'm not. But most of that is because... I had to sign on for a lease and real mm -hmm. estate right now is just like yeah. is predatory at yeah. best. Like the, the rent is, I mean, I'm, I was doing a version of this supper club, you know, just after the restaurant closed and my rent was, was $1,200 for this right. like real small space. And now I'm having to pay close to $5,000 for wow. this like small warehouse space. And it's, I mean, and so that really is the biggest part. So if you can find, you know, a lot of people won't do these pop-up dinners on their own lease. Mm -hmm. Usually they either want to go into an already existent restaurant, you know, mm -hmm. maybe they can work out a deal with the owners that they can go do one of these dinners on a closed night. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're doing them in someone else's home. Maybe they're doing them in the middle of a field. That's kind of the thing is that you can make as much as you want to based on 
how you're, how you're right. willing to set absolutely. it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and um, you have control over that more than ever, it sounds like now. But mm-hmm. I will tell you one thing with all that warehouse space. You know, I tell you what, you get a couple of lights, a couple of DJs, a couple of kegs, you know, 10 bucks at the door. It happens fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's 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 really what this is kind of every weekend a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that. For me, when we looked at all these restaurants and how they managed the pandemic, the ones that you saw that really were successful and maybe even thrived were the ones that were able to let go of whatever their original concept was and pivot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Either do, do selling stuff, you know, to go, um, cocktails to go, you know, whatever they, I mean, everybody had to figure it out. Right. Um, and the ones who were able to kind of like to, to, you know, roll with the punches were the ones that did it. And so I effectively have set up a space that's kind of like eternally rolling with the punches. If the dinners for whatever reason didn't do great, that would free up more time to produce more ceramics and maybe I can sell the ceramics or, you know, it's an opportunity to say, Hey, look, I had time to make all of these paintings who wants to buy a painting um so the you know i think that the, at the end of the day the big trade-off is um you know i don't have that stability in making money for someone else but right. you have the freedom to kind of make it the way you want to at least as best you can it's definitely getting harder and harder yeah to do it um but I mean, I think that it's there's, great. there's I, a lot to be gained. Absolutely. There's a lot to be gained. And uh, it's a, a uniquely Zach experience that yeah. people can have. And like, how how cool, you know, it's it's I love it. in terms of like a uh, stage performance. It's like doing a solo show, you know, 100 oh percent. It's like reading the crowd, too. Like you have to read the room and, mm-hmm. you know, some. Like, you know, which tables you're going to be able to let some cusses fly. You'll be able to slip yeah. with some curse words or this one. You need to keep it buttoned up a little bit more. Or this one, you know, like and even just studying how the dynamics of the table works. Like if you have one table versus having two tables or like all of that. I've been paying attention to all of that this whole time to kind of create this. It's almost like a funnel to force people to be good to be good folks like i joke that i'm trying to radicalize people but it's not a joke i love um, it i, love, I know I love and it so I, much yeah. zach it's been like really honestly a pleasure talking to you and like you know mm. i'm so glad that we are you know affiliated know each other from a distance uh brooke and i need to come to georgia obviously no, I, need, I need to come to california are you kidding <laughs> it's it's been a really cool thing to realize you know we've made so many friends through the podcast mm-hmm. but we we would have a little group of atlanta based folks that would totally want to hang totally. out totally and it, you know one of these days a live podcast could even happen who knows i mean even just a visit um, and i've i've never been to georgia ever me, so. me neither no i've only driven just, through uh, yeah yeah i mean uh this this is where i've spent the biggest chunk of my life it's uh it's a it's a beautiful place. It depends on when you come, but I, you should definitely come hang out. That would be, that would be amazing. We could put all those people at one table. Yeah, absolutely. We sure could. I mean, for, I mean, and I just like the idea that it's like, we're breaking the, we are breaking the norms of like Southern society, whether we're thinking like a Downton Abbey situation, whether we're thinking that like the only people who had access to, while they, it is still a privilege to be able to afford certain meals like this. Yes. But breaking the norms of like the privilege, the ultra privileged who only had access to meals and experiences like this for a long time and that they're definitely becoming a bigger part of the norm, you know? I think that um, the I think that if we didn't if we didn't see it before, like the pandemic really showed that like, y'all, we're we're doing this wrong. Mm -hmm. Like we have to figure out a new way to do this. And I'm not necessarily saying that what I'm doing is all that different, but what I am saying is that the people who are willing to come out to eat dinner somewhere else, to sit with a stranger and have a conversation, 
those are the people that all believe that it can all be done differently. It's not just restaurants. I mean, it's quite legitimately our entire lives need to be reprioritized. And so while, yes, I'm broke as hell, uh, this thing does it doesn't make a lot of money. But what, you know, what it's really doing is helping us to to be able to connect. I think that we all need to be making an effort to do something different. Mm -hmm. um, the day in and day out is just not doing it. And why would we want to spend our whole lives doing the same thing over and over again? Yeah. Um, and so I really encourage anybody who's fired up about the idea of starting up your own supper club, be it uh, for a business or be it as a way to spend more time with the people that you love or to meet more people. Right. I mean, there's an endless list of benefits to doing it. And I, um, I strongly encourage you to do it. And the other thing that I always tell folks is like, because I get a lot of emails where people are like, how do I do it? And the answer is you just do, do it. Do like do there it. is no way to do it. You just do it. Um, and it's it's pretty remarkable when you you'll find so many people yeah and then that, put your you own know. stamp on it like it doesn't mm -hmm. no someone doesn't need to recreate what you're doing like if they do also happen to work with pottery then then great but you know what if their yeah, specialty I mean, is they grow flowers and it's more that they put beautiful totally. bouquets from their mm -hmm. own garden you know like just so just make it your own but how amazing to have. So my life goal, like, you know, I've decided that I need to have an opus, right? Like I need to have like my big work and I want to, I, my goal is to, is to serve a five course meal to 10 people where I've produced everything yes. at and or on the table, including the table, right? Like I just, um, as an excuse you know, I just bought my little girl a sewing machine because I want to know how to make the napkins, right? Wow. Like mm -hmm. I want to liken that. I think that how amazing is it though, if you have one person who, you know, is a great gardener and one person who's an artist and one person who, and to bring all uh, of those elements together, yeah. it creates something that's so much more than just a restaurant. And like, at the end of the day, I'm just some white dude from the suburbs. Who cares about what I have to say? You know, it really ends up being about the people that are sitting at the table. And that's the most important part. I mean, you're talking my language. I mean, I think yes. for the longest time, even though, you know, now it is trending to be like, buy land. Let's all grow old together and like retire. Because, of course, you know who I mean, it costs a lot of money to retire. God knows what it's going to be when we're old and if the options will even exist. You know, oh, they'll, probably just, I'm dying. they'll probably I'm just dying working. shoot us all <laughs> off into outer space, I'm sure. You know what I mean? But like, <clears throat> I, I. I just love the idea of a self-sustaining model, you know, and it's like we grow our food, we work together, we make the money because we invite people in to share the experience, you know? Mm, yeah. I think that, you know, it's easy to feel isolated and that's a, it's a good way to work away from that. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So good. Amazing. Well, Zach, thank you so much. Like, I love y'all. Love you. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, yeah. Every everybody, check out Dirt Church Ceramics. Go. If you're if you're living in the Georgia area, if you're gonna be near Atlanta, you wanna you wanna have a seat at the table and share the experience with Zach, hit him up. Um, but that's it for this episode. Brooke, you know what we say at the end. Godspeed and good tips, everybody. Until next week. Bye, y'all. Thank you.